Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Happy New Year, my friends. So here's a question for you. What do you think is the key to doing hard things in 2022? Because we all know that even if this is the best of years, there are hard things coming, right? Well, today's guest, Teresa Cordy, one of the chocolate making sisters from last month's episode, talks really openly today about the hard things that a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis has thrust upon her. She also shares how she has met these hard things with grief and resilience, and the way that food and food blogging has helped her meet the challenges and overcome the losses that MS has handed her. This is a really valuable episode for so many reasons, not least of which as a reminder that everyone has a story behind their story, right? I mean, who knew that these high-achieving chocolate makers had struggles, burdens, and hardships just like everyone else? It really shouldn't have come as such a surprise to me, shouldn't it? So welcome back to the podcast, to you listeners, and welcome, Teresa. Hey, Teresa. Good morning, Becky. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay. Well, first of all, if you need to put this off for a week because of your treatment, we can totally do that. Or are you feeling okay? No, I'm really feeling okay. Um, I mean, I'm not going to be going out lifting any weights today, but yeah. I'm content to have a chat on the sofa. Okay. Well, wonderful. So what, what is, is your treatment actually chemotherapy? It is. I had no idea that was a protocol for MS. So it, it is off label use, um, oh. of the drug and it's used slightly differently than it is when it's being used to treat cancer patients. Um, but it is essentially some of the same drugs. So, and it's not typical MS mm. treatments. Those are kind of the last, the last lines of available treatments. So, um, I've gone through a lot of other medications before landing on, on this yes. one. And is the idea that because chemotherapy, the idea is to destroy the cells that are destroying your body, I guess. And is that, how does that work with MS? So there's so much we don't know about MS and a lot of the first treatments they'll give you are different types of blockers. They say block different cells from doing things or um, they trick them or they mask them or things like that. But none of those were, were working. And part of the research community with MS believes that your immune system is comprised of B cells and T cells and lots of other things. And there's a lot of research kind of going into the B cell. In my case, it appears to be that those are the cells that are um, misbehaving. And so um, I have done a chemotherapy that killed all my B and T cells for a couple of years. And that was pretty intense. Um, but the one I'm doing now is just killing my B cells. Okay. Well, let's go back and start with the questions that I actually yeah. sent you. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry. I, I jumped it in very curious, I suppose. And, um, and I did want to make sure that you were even feeling up to having this conversation today. So well, thank you. Yeah. So tell me 
about the diagnosis? Like, what did you first notice and how did you get to this point? How did that story unfold? So it started, I, if I really think back about a year before I was diagnosed, I was having repeated episodes of shingles. And after I would have shingles, I would have these periods that were becoming increasingly longer and increasingly more intense where the skin on my feet and my legs lost feeling. Wow. And it was really just bizarre. Right. And I didn't connect it for a long time. And I kept going to the doctor and she's like, Oh, you probably pulled a muscle in your back. Don't worry about the shingles. It's almost summer. And, um, finally I went to an urgent care because I had a day with just extreme back pain. And, um, I thought, well, gosh, I must've pulled a disc or, or done something. And, um, I don't want to be over dramatic by saying this urgent care doctor saved my life, but he has definitely his actions that day got me to the point where I was diagnosed. And wow. he, he was like, this is all really strange. This doesn't sound right. I can't send you for the tests that I think you need. And I think you need to change your primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. And he connected me within a week. And within two months, I'd been referred out to a neurologist and gone through all of the, there's quite extensive testing when they're looking for um, neurological disorders. And really at the time they, they thought maybe they were looking for a tumor in my spine. And so the MS diagnosis was on the table, but that's not what the neurologist thought it was going to be until we kind of finished getting through all the testing of it. I see. Now, is there a definitive test for MS or is it a collection of symptoms type of diagnosis? Um, It's a collection of symptoms and tests. So Mm. there's the neurological symptoms and people with MS, a lot of them present very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is uh, unique to every individual that has it, like how their symptoms present. Mm -hmm. And so there's tests they can do for, um, they'll do MRIs. That's a huge part of Mm -hmm. identifying MS and they look for lesions on the brain and on the spinal cord. Mm. And then they also do a lumbar puncture. Oh, you poor thing. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't wish that one on anybody. That was a hard test, but there's. They look for specific things in that test. And if those are present and you have the lesions from the MRIs and you're presenting with symptoms, then they move forward with the MS diagnosis. Okay. So, okay. So they do know then, like they don't know what causes it, but they do know what multiple sclerosis is. So I'm thinking of um, diagnoses like irritable bowel syndrome, and it's kind of just like, well, this is it can mean a lot of things and there's no, um, Oh, we've detected this virus in your blood, you know, for COVID or something like that. Yes. Do they know what multiple sclerosis is, even if they don't know what causes it? I would, I would say no. And they, it is considered, it is considered an autoimmune disorder Mm. and there is more and more a belief that people are perhaps genetically predisposed Mm. And there's an environmental trigger such as um, like mono 
like a virus. Oh, um, interesting. And that can trigger your predisposed I see. Mm-hmm. system to begin attacking. Um, but they that's all still very yeah. No one really knows. Yes, um, I see. And you've mentioned on your website that you have um kind of in a regular form and it sounds like even the type that's considered to be less severe but considering that type your case is very severe of that type to explain that a little bit more or is that even accurate my what i read like my understanding is is accurate accurate. okay okay um and it's kind of bizarre because i think a Mm. lot of us are used to you know, maybe like the cancer ratings that mm, oh, it's stage four right. or stage one. And right. MS doesn't necessarily have those mm-hmm. types of ratings. So there's um, two types of progressive MS. Mm. And those are kind of the more serious ones where you really don't ever have a recovery phase. You're just slowly or quickly, depending on your disease, mm. um, deteriorating. Mm-hmm. I have what's called relapsing remitting MS mm-hmm. and that means I can have an episode or a relapse or a flare. They call it, mm-hmm. it's called, there's multiple names people use for them. Mm-hmm. And that might mean I have new lesions on my brain or spine, but I can sometimes partially recover. Mm. And I maybe it, don't have those symptoms all the time every day. So your symptoms might lessen, but can a lesion heal once it's there? It cannot. Okay. So once the damage is done, um, you're you're kind of stuck with that. And mm. the when the lesion is forming or right after it's formed and you have your relapse or your episode where you kind of find out what damage it did, whether that's muscle control or strength somewhere for some people it's vision um it can be brain fog memory lapses Mm -hmm. all all manner of things um different pain sensations once those subside and you can get your the inflammation in your body and the episode to kind of calm down Mm. you might find that there are permanent new deteriorations that you just have to deal with but for the most part until you have another relapse or you're really run down or you get sick, Mm. you may not have the full blown, oh, I can't use my legs today or Mm -hmm. or whatever. I see. Okay. So I'm going to go out of order with the questions a little bit because I think this one fits a little bit, a little bit more now, but it's, it sounds like um, if the underlying cause of the symptoms, which is the lesions, they they don't come and go. The only other thing that can affect your symptoms is um, like the lifestyle factors that aggravate, exacerbate, or lessen the symptoms. So my question is, um, it sounds like this had you turn a little bit towards food and food blogging. I'm wondering what lifestyle factors affect your symptoms and if you use food as a way to um, either either medicate or minimize those factors, or t- tell me a little bit about that. Um, absolutely, mm. food is a huge part of managing any any disease, whether that's um, you know the days that you indulge a little bit because you just need some <laughs> emotional support from your mm-hmm. food, 
or, you know, really trying to heal your body with food. And I did spend one of the years and earlier in my diagnosis, when things were just really moving aggressively, I, um, did this eating plan called the walls protocol. That's a very anti-inflammatory plan. So no dairy, no eggs, no, um, no gluten, no, there was a lot of no, there was a lot of no sugar, Mm. (laughs) no no sugar. And, um, then also specifically adding in a lot of particular nutrients, um, Mm. things that were very dense in magnesium and things that were, um, a lot of green food. And Mm -hmm. that was, it was great. And it was certainly healthy for me. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about nine months. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't slowing down my MS Mm -hmm. and I did find that it it was challenging with the family. Yeah. You know, my kids aren't going to eat a salad for breakfast and they're not going to, you know, they, they might want a biscuit at dinner sometimes, you know? Yeah. So, and there comes um, a point at which you're actually wearing yourself down more um, yes. through the stress and the effort of pulling together all of these specialty meals and feeding your family. Yes. And stress must be a factor as well. It's, it's a huge factor. Yeah. And um, so that sort of phased out, except mm-hmm. I will say that I keep a lot of those the lessons I learned through that eating plan and those types mm. of food and really eating whole food and natural food mm. as much as I can. Um, so my breakfast and lunch actually still looks a lot like it did when I was following that eating plan, Okay, but our dinners are back to being more of just a family style mm-hmm. dinner that everyone can eat. Um, but I, part of this MS progression for me, the last several years has been the realization that I cannot go back to teaching. I mm-hmm. um, have a master's degree in language and literacy and a bachelor's in elementary education. And I was an elementary teacher Oh, and I was actually looking for positions the year I was diagnosed. I had started to look and then I was diagnosed and we thought, well, you know, we'll just, mm-hmm. we'll just hold off a year mm-hmm. and see what this looks like. Mm. And, um, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And Mm, I'm at the point now where physically I can't maintain a full-time job. I, I don't have enough healthy days Mm -hmm. and I don't have the stamina, particularly for something like elementary teaching. Mm, Yes. (laughs) So, which I love and I miss. And Mm. I know that at this point until there's a treatment that can actually heal the damage, Mm. that's just not an option for me. And I, but I feel like there's so many days where I have so much to give. Like I, Mm. I want to help others. I want to teach others. I want to connect with others. And for me, it kind of always comes back to food that Mm. that's how that's part of my love language. It's how Mm -hmm. I make my connections. And Mm -hmm. so I hadn't, I hadn't even been on Facebook or Instagram or anything else. I was a total social, social media <laughs> recluse. I didn't, I didn't partake in any of that. And I was like, I'm just going to start a blog. I'm going to yeah. do this. It's been really fun for me. I've, mm. 
I think it's been really thrilling for me when someone responds like, oh, I tried that recipe and it was so good. Or yeah, that technique you showed me was really just a thing. And now I can make macarons or whatever it is that they wanted to make that they couldn't make before. So yeah. You know, I think I think the kind of expected narrative would be, and and I like that your story is not the expected narrative, would be, oh, I got MS and then I developed this protocol and it's totally changed my symptoms. And so now I teach everybody how to follow that protocol. That's not your story. You learned lessons from a protocol, found that ultimately it wasn't um, eliminating your symptoms. And so you went to food for a different use and you want to teach something different. So what is what, like, what do you ultimately, if you could sum it up, I guess, what do you ultimately want to teach your readers and your followers about food? That's such a good question. Oh. <laughs> and it's honestly a really hard one because I, yes. I do find myself in, in a mixed bag sometimes. Like mm. on the one hand, I'll share smoothie recipes that are mm-hmm. no sugar and anti-inflammatory and very green. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, I'm, I'm sharing primarily like confections. Yeah. You mentioned macarons. Or candy or, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. I've done a lot of macarons and, mm. um, just, um, uh, just different things like that. So I think, I think my goal is just to to open up food to people who are at home. I'm, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm For not whatever a reason. chef. I'm not a classically trained, mm-hmm. you know, chef of any kind. I, I just do a lot in my kitchen and, and I love to connect with people over food that they'll get excited about, whether that's a healthy smoothie or, you know, a batch of, of truffles. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting because you are cooking and teaching from your experience. You found food to be a solace and a comfort and a way to engage your mind in such a, um, it was almost like a palliative for this grief of not being able to go back to teaching. And what food gave you that kind of joy and purpose and pleasure you want to, you want to give that to people now. Is that fair to say? Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. Before we go any further, I wanted to ask you directly to please subscribe to the podcast. I have listened to you and 2022 schedule is shaping up to be so special. Um, In my bookings, I've really returned to the roots of this podcast. I am rejecting all publicist pitches and I'm really seeking out everyday people from a huge variety of countries with extraordinary stories. We will be catching up a little bit with some fan favorites. We'll be learning about some really amazing out-of-the-box food businesses. And this year, you will be hearing a little bit more from me. Uh, Just a little bit. Next week, we will hear from Elias Taleb, a Tunisian, who will be telling us all about Ola, a midsummer ceremony where the women and his family make couscous. This is a fascinating episode where I actually learn something new every single minute. So I just want to remind you that you can only be sure that you will hear this episode if you subscribe to the podcast in the player or subscribe to my newsletter. 
So hit that subscribe button right now, or just scroll through the show notes. That's just the writing right there in your player and subscribe to the storied recipe newsletter. Um, the bonus, if you subscribe to the newsletter is that every single Friday, you will receive a link to all of my content from the week. Um, not just the episode. So you'll get the recipes, some images of the recipes, any food photography tips I put out occasional free gifts, little personal update every week, and also the opportunity to continue to provide feedback on the direction of this podcast and the guests that I choose. So a lot of the changes that I made in 2022 are a direct result of the advice and input my newsletter subscribers gave me last November. That's it. Make sure you subscribe to something, either to the podcast right there in the player or to my newsletter, the links in the show notes. And let's go back to Teresa. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Mm. Mm. That's wonderful. And it sounds like also just the idea of balance is something that you want to share with people. Absolutely. I think balance is the key to my whole life now. And Mm. um, that understanding there is give and take to everything. I Mm. used to be just physically, I will push it. I will do it. I can, Mm. you know, I will manage it. And, um, and now I have to accept that that's, there are real, real consequences to that. Mm. So I have to be very choosy about Mm -hmm. where I take risks, where I expend energy. And, um, Mm. that's something I've also found the food blogging and just the food experience to be very forgiving for me that, Mm if I have a week like this week where I've had treatment that, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really baking in the kitchen this week. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I made my healthy smoothie this morning and I'm sitting on the couch, but, um, it's okay. I can, it can sit mm-hmm. and and I can come back to it next week and it's there and it's waiting for me and mm-hmm. I haven't missed anything. And probably no one's missed me either for a week. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. I noticed yesterday how you said I had a treatment and I won't be cooking. And I, I like, I mean, I like that connection. I like just to know and to say a quick prayer for your treatment. And, um, thank you, you know, so yeah, there's so many, I do think about the food community. There's a lot of ways to connect beyond just here's what I made. Here's a recipe over and over. I think there's some leeway for that in the food blogging community, at least on Instagram, which I appreciate. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. So, okay. So yes, let's, let's talk about this idea of balance and achievement and, and in terms of the chocolate making, um, because it was so clear talking to your family and your sisters that you guys are achievers and you thrive on excellence and your chocolate, I mean, you guys are amazing. <laughs> Your chocolates are professional and you've self-taught and you've created this well-oiled machine. I mean, everything that you've done um, exudes your values of just excellence and education and, uh, and, and ambition. Like that's, what's fun for you guys doing to pushing yourselves, you know, it's, it's fun to push yourselves. And um, it sounds like that was true for you in every arena of life, but in terms of the chocolate making in particular, and this tradition, um, how has your MS and your diagnosis and kind of this newfound approach to life affected that? It, it actually has affected it tremendously. I, Um, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as a family, 
and I don't know when it happens, but it, it mm-hmm. never goes away, but you, you kind of fall into a role Yep. everybody plays their part and everyone has, is just a certain way. And yep. it's just, that's your family and that's your family dynamic. And yes. part of my identity in the family was the first one up, the last one to bed, the mm. didn't need to take a break. I'd push and push and push and push and everyone else pushed too in, in their own way as well. But that mm-hmm. was, I was a driver in that mm-hmm. sense. And, um, after my diagnosis, I really had to try to assert some boundaries, which was really hard, mm-hmm. um, to say, well, I'm going to wake up whenever I wake up. If that's early, I'll get things started. If it's not, then I'll mm-hmm. get started when I get started. And 10 PM is my cutoff. I mean, we would have weekends where, you know, we're still in the kitchen at two in the morning and yes, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, I can't do that anymore because sleep is really critical. Yeah. You'll pay for and it for weeks. Ex- exactly. And, mm-hmm. um, but then, you know, as things were progressing and getting worse and I was having so many different relapses, there was one year, um, I ended up having a treatment right before candy making and I couldn't go to the weekend. Mm-hmm. And that was a couple of years. That was three years ago. And my mom came up to Kansas city and she and I worked on just like the white chocolate, just the two of us. Mm. And I actually made chocolate with an IV in my hand. <laughs> oh, Teresa. Um, wow. You know, I just strapped a glove on and we just kept going, but wow. um, obviously it was much slower and it was, we didn't do as much that year. And then I wasn't able to even be there to help my mom and sisters mm. because um, my immune system was so compromised. I, I couldn't stay in a big house. With oh. 16 people sharing food and bathroom and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't oh, safe right. for me. Yeah. I didn't even think about that aspect. Yeah. And um, that's been a huge part of the transition for all of that is, you know, how do we, and then COVID hit mm, and right. we still have all, I still have all of these issues with my immune system being compromised. Mm. And especially you know, as you go through chemotherapy treatments on yes. top of it all. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, mm-hmm. um, it's, I think it's hard for my family when I have to like this last weekend that we did, um, I wore a mask the whole weekend and I would take my meals out onto the back porch and eat outside because, you know, I've, I've been vaccinated, but because I don't have B cells, yeah. I didn't create antibodies. So, um, <sighs> Mm. It's really complicated in mm. family gatherings to have those kind of things. And, and, um, so it has changed mm-hmm. our dynamic a lot and, um, has been hard, I think for everybody to adjust. Mm-hmm. How about, um, physically are there fine motor? I mean, this chocolate making again, it's so precise. It's so delicate. It's so perfect what you guys do. Um, has that affected your, do you have lost your fine motor skills and has that affected what jobs you can actually do? Um, it does sometimes Mm -hmm. if I'm, if I've planned my, if my week ahead well, Mm. and I'm pretty well rested, I can usually make it through a few days of taxing, physically taxing stuff. But Mm. then I know I'm going to have three or four days where I need to rest again. Mm but even doing it at home, sometimes when I'm trying to finish something, I'll drop a tray. I'll, 
um, I don't always have great grip, grip strength. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'll have to stop and put things to the side for a little bit and then come back to them. Mm. But it's really just an act of being patient with myself and, Mm. um, planning in such a way that I know I, I can accomplish it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. Well, I, I really, I really admire you, Teresa. And um, for the last question, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. And um, I guess since 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 my first since my first question, I've been amazed, and and I and I shouldn't be amazed. Like I know I know MS is really a devastating disease. I actually um, I actually worked with someone one summer who had the what, what's the first form? Progressive. The progressive yeah. form, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was diagnosed at 16 in a wheelchair by 17. Um, and uh, by the time I worked with her, she was nonverbal. And my entire college career, I every Friday afternoon, I would just go be with her. Um, and we developed a friendship. Uh, she could sign a little bit. Um, so I know that MS can be devastating. Of course, she had a different type. Um, but I think I've still been struck by how much you really have suffered, um, from the very beginning, even like your doctor saying, don't worry about the shingles. The summer is coming. I had to stifle a gasp when I, I mean, don't worry about shingles. I had like a quarter of an inch of shingles on my rib once and I thought I was dying. (laughs) (laughs) And they're the worst. They are the worst. And so, you know, you've suffered through that. You've, um, lost this family tradition and then, the loss of an identity in many ways of being this hard charging person, the loss of a career and hopes to return to a career of teaching, um, the loss of ability, the loss of, you know, um, days of just strength. And, and, and the, the, I'm, I'm quite overwhelmed actually in the moment thinking about what you have lost and what you have suffered. And, um, and first of all, I, I, I want to give you my sympathy for that. Um, that's, you say it very calmly, but I know that that has been very, very difficult. Like it, it, it has to have been. Um, and when I read your blog, I see, I see this really positive, like I was so, I, I think I, I really resonated with the story about you hiking with your family last summer, because I love to travel with my family. We love to hike and just spend hours, you know, kind of on the beach or just exploring. And you kind of made this goal for yourself and your family was super supportive. And you did, was it Angel's Landing? What was the hike that you did? Um, it was Mount Crested Butte. Mount. Okay. It was like this challenging hike and you just wrote about it in such a, in such a positive way. And, um, I think I felt happy for you that it was so positive, but I also, when I always feel like, ah, it's so unfair that society makes us feel like we're supposed to be positive, like to be a hero, we have to like have this great attitude. And, and so I guess I'm just wondering, how do you deal with that tension within yourself? Like you could become very embittered and resentful, um, if, if, if you fixated on the loss, but at the same time. No, no, no one really can be like all positive and all see the bright side all the time. Like, how do you deal with that within yourself? It, it is actually a very conscious mm. effort. I'm, and, and I do parcel out, I do parcel out time to, to be angry and to be sad. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm not, 
a tremendous crier. My family mm. totally would not agree, but every <laughs> once in a while, I'll, I mean, I totally cry in the little mermaid and all that kind of stuff. I just, I'm a movie crier, but you know, I do every once in a while I'll have to set time aside to just grieve a little bit over mm-hmm. what I thought things were going to look like yes, what they look like instead. And, mm. you know, it's a tremendous help. I have, um, wonderful doctors and nurses who listen when I go to my appointments and I can kind of share some of the negative and the sad there. Mm-hmm. And they're very supportive. And I have a couple friends who have MS and, mm-hmm. um, we can text each other and just be like, this is so lame. This is so stupid. I can't believe this. This is what happened yeah. today. And it's so dumb. Or, you know, I, I dropped this plate or, you know, yeah. I can't feel this finger or whatever, or, you yeah. know, and it's kind of just a release to text each other back. Cause even if their symptoms are not the same, they kind of get it. These yeah. random, like I was fine last night, but I woke up this morning and I can't walk. <laughs> yeah. Like just total <laughs> intrusions into your day and your plans. Yes. Yeah, so that's an important part of just release and, and releasing some of that grief and anger. And, but I do consciously every day work towards being positive and work on focusing mm. what on what I can do. And a huge part of that is my children. I, mm. I want my children to see that I'm not defeated, that mm-hmm. there's not a problem we can't work through as a family. There's not wow. something so terrible that we can't figure out how to manage it. And mm. um, I really want them to see that we can do hard things, that I can do hard mm. things. And even if my hard thing today was just walking my kid to school. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And another part of that balance was really letting go of image. And hmm. there's a huge freedom to that. Um, hmm. Someone had said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just, just amazing that you're out and you're using that cane and it doesn't seem to bother you. And I'm like, well, I can either not be out or, I can use a cane and I'm not going to be ashamed to be a young person. I shouldn't call myself young person, but a younger person using oh. a cane because <laughs> you're young. We're young. <laughs> I, I want to be out. I want to yeah. do these things and I want to, you know, be these places. And especially yeah. for my kids, there's not anything that's too embarrassing for me to do for my kids. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Um, mm, that is really, that is really helpful. I think for me, and I'm sure for others listening, because a lot of us haven't uh, suffered the the loss um, that you have, but there are those hard things. And I, I really appreciate that. Like I'm getting a lot from what you're saying is one, let go of the image and <laughs> two, <laughs> yes, do work towards positivity, do work towards it. Like it's a conscious choice, but set aside times um, to grieve. I really yeah. do appreciate that. Mm. That's really helpful. I also have one last question, if you don't mind. Um, no. Because I think th- this this question of um, your diagnosis and how wrong your PCP was and how it took this one person to really um, change that path and get you to a diagnosis, this is interesting to me. And I guess I'm just curious, like if there are people listening who feel like there's something not right and 
I'm not saying somebody who suspects they have MS because, you know, the statistics on that are low, but I feel like there's a lot of stories about people who just knew something was off, but they weren't being heard. Um, How would you recommend you've, you've done a lot of navigating of the medical system at this point. Yes. What would your advice to people be? I'm actually really glad you asked that question. Mm. And I would say, I would say, keep keep switching providers until you get to someone who is listening to what you're saying mm. and is making an effort to order the tests that might need to be done to help identify where your issues might lie. Mm. Um, and and don't be afraid to speak up for yourself. And I didn't do a great job of that at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And even initially after my diagnosis, I stayed with the neurologist that diagnosed me, even though he wasn't a specialist in MS. Mm. And within a year, I realized that was a mistake. And Mm -hmm. um, it was hard for me to change because I have some loyalty issues. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I did. I made a change to an MS specialist. And again, that was an incredible key in making Mm -hmm. sure that my disease did not continue progressing even more aggressively than it already was. Mm -hmm. Um, so find someone who will listen, go to the specialists. If you Mm -hmm. think it's a certain thing or your primary care thinks it could be a certain thing, find someone who specializes in that, that sees patients with similar issues all the time and has the breadth and the depth of knowledge to really get you through it. Yeah. That's good advice. I appreciate that. Well, Teresa, I really admire you. <laughs> I really admire. Thank I, really you. I feel like you have so much wisdom in terms of this balancing your your feelings of of grief and anger, but also of resilience. You know, balancing your desire for excellence and to do amazing things, and also needing to rest. You know, desire to be with family and needing to be well. Um, and it it comes across in your about me on your website. Like this is a person who really has a lot of wisdom and is approaching a really hard oh, thing. Thank you. And no, I really, I, as soon as I read it, I thought, oh, I really want to talk to Teresa more about this. <laughs> I, I love what you said about, it's not about trying to fake yourself out and saying it's not hard, but it's about saying as a family, we can do hard things. What a, gosh, is there a bigger gift really that we could give to our kids, you know? I, I hope not. Cause that's what I've got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're doing it. You're doing it. And I think you're teaching it to, you know, us in the food community as thank you so much, Teresa. I'm so grateful that you made the time for it. And it's such an awesome opportunity for me to see the work that you do, which is beautiful and oh. amazing and inspiring. And, um, just being part of all of it, it was a bright spot in my in my year, quite honestly, I'm so excited about all of it. Good, (laughs) good. Well, I can't wait to share more. And can you tell everybody where to find you for the chocolate episode? We talked about um, that hashtag and everything. How about you and your blog? Where can people find you? So my blog where you can find actual recipes and kind of longer length stories is going to be meltedkc.com. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at just at meltedkc. Okay, good. And it's Teresa T Yep. And yep. Cordy K-O-R-T-E. And anybody can look in the show notes. I'll have all of your contact information there. So all right, Teresa, I really appreciate your time, especially the day after treatment. I hope you get a lot of rest today and um really, really have a good day and a super happy holiday season. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Teresa. Take care. You too, Becky. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
thanks again to Teresa. I really hope you were all as inspired by her wisdom as I was. If you look there in the show notes, you can find all of her contact information as well as a link to her Blackberry Lime Preserves, which were amazing. They were just such a delightfully zesty, bright winter treat that we put in yogurt, we put on top of waffles, I made a pavlova to um, show it off. You definitely want to try this recipe. Finally, just one more reminder to subscribe in your player or subscribe to the newsletter and that the very best two ways to support the podcast are either leave a five-star review. You can find a link to easily do that right there in the show notes. And the second best way is to support, um, to support the podcast is to shop the storied recipe print shop. That's where I share the very best images of my guest recipes and I celebrate produce and culture and tradition with just the use of really extraordinary light. You can hang these prints in your home, you can gift them, and keep one on your desk. That is it. Thank you for listening. Once again, Happy New Year, my friends, and have a great week.